you have been blessed and he wants to bless you more so that you can go out and be Jesus to the world and love well. So seek the touch from him. That touch that fills you with his love so much that you go out and give it away and you do life from the overflow. He wants you to fill you with more than enough. And then you realize, wow, the more we give away in the kingdom, he just multiplies back to you. So the power of his love and the power of the Holy Spirit, go for it. It's real. It's all true. Like it's, it's the, the word is true and God knows what he's doing and, and he wants to use all of our lives. And, and there are people around you i'm just saying that that they need jesus and i would just encourage you to listen to the voice just listen to the voice of god in just one step after another and you don't have to be afraid like you know like what happened to mike you don't have to be afraid you know my my sons at one point said what if he sends me to this place and i said you don't ever have to be afraid of that because when the time comes if he does he's it'll become the desire of your heart thank you so much pastor jordan lindsay pastor josh and carrie and this wonderful family of New Point Church, thank you for having us. It's truly been a blessing to be here. We're so thrilled to, to share with you. I'm going to share first, and then I'm going to bring my beautiful bride up to share with you next. Dean and I are partners in everything. Uh, been married almost 28 years. Amen. <laughs> Marriage is awesome. It's getting better and better. We can truly say that after almost three decades of marriage, we love being married. So yes, I'm thankful to be here and share good news. Isn't it amazing that it is good news that we have to share? You know, what if it was such a case that you met somebody that said, oh, I've read the whole book cover to cover. I've sought with everything I can to learn about this Jesus you talk about, and he's really not all that good. I've yet to meet somebody like that, but instead, He's good, and he's better than I can express to you today. That's why we have the Holy Spirit. I pray that he would express to you just how good he is and how much he loves you. He loves you a whole lot. So I know this has been difficult times for many people in the last year and a half, two years. Has anybody been through a difficult time? A few people, you know. I don't want to spend much time in that, other than just to say I've, I've been through some difficult times, and God is good. God is good. Don't let difficult times derail you, but instead just know the truth. Know the truth of life, and know Jesus, know what he's called you to do, and I'm looking for holy recompense. Amen? And I'll give it all to him and, and let him see what these difficulties in my life should produce. But I'm not going to give up. I've seen too much of him to ever give up. So it has been difficult times, but 
it's time to put a smile on. My staff sometimes in China would, would help me with that. They're like, Baba, you look so serious. We know who you are because we hang out with you and you joke a lot. So they would help me and they'd do this a lot. That was my cue. Okay, I need to let it look on the outside how it is on the inside because it's good news. Even in difficult times, it's been good news. So remember that. And remember that division is a tool of the enemy. And he has been working overtime to bring division in this United States, this amazing nation. Any way he can bring division to a marriage, a family, a church, a city, or a nation, he will do it. Why? Because he knows the strength in what we have when we're together. My wife and I, when we're together and things are good, there's nothing we can't do. We feel full of faith and hope, strength, and same with the, the strength we feel from brothers and sisters. The body of Christ is strong, and when we're together, there's nothing we can't do. So he will continue to, to bring the division. Don't let him. It's exposed. If it hasn't been already, I'm telling you, <laughs> so you know it's exposed. It's a, it's a plan of the enemy to, to divide you, to divide us. So just don't go there. Um, Dina said recently, it's time to get that twinkle in our eye back, and I believe so. You know, we're the bride of Christ, and he's preparing us, right? Who's getting ready for the, the wedding? The wedding of the Lamb. If you've been invited, as I have, there should be a twinkle in our eye. We should be getting excited. And he's coming back for a beautiful bride. You know, how would it be if for my bride, you know, the wedding was coming up and I just made sure she was just really beaten down and wore out and malnourished and just... <laughs> struggled through every day until it was time for the wedding. No way. She's making herself more beautiful. Amen? So it's good to be back home in the Midwest. These are my roots. You are my peeps. My father was born right here in Hall, Iowa. Do you know where Hall, Iowa is? Just northwest of here. He moved just across the border where I was born in Jackson, Minnesota, small little town, 3,500 people. And uh, I grew up in the cornfields and the soybean fields. And Amen? That was my first jobs. Never forget. Special times. Laboring in the fields. But we're still laboring in the fields. Just as fishers of men. So yeah, I was born and raised here in the Midwest, and it is great to be back. I never appreciated being here when I was young. I was ready to go, leave the cornfields, explore the big world. I've lived on two continents, been able to visit 26 nations, and all that to realize it's all about Jesus, right? Just as Pastor shared a couple weeks ago, it is all about Jesus. He's given me amazing adventures. 
more than I could have ever thought or dreamed of, but nothing compares to knowing him. And I've been blessed to do that and be back here to share with you. So I had a great childhood. I was thankful for being raised by Christian parents and having Christian grandparents. And life was good overall, I would say. Um, life was pretty normal, pretty average for me. And that was okay for most things, except I found that was not okay for a Christian. Because I tried that for many years, and it was not a good way to live, just being okay, so-so. Or as I finally read in Revelation chapter 3, verses 15 and 16, what it's like to be lukewarm. What does the Lord say about that? He doesn't like that. He said, I wish you'd either be hot or cold. Being lukewarm, I want to spit you out of my mouth. And that hit home to me in a big way. Because I saw the, the danger of complacency in my Christian life and what that produced. Nothing good. Dean and I would say we were more of a detriment to the kingdom of God than anything. Because we professed to being a Christian, but we were not living it at all. We were complacent, lukewarm, and producing nothing for the king. That died for me. I knew the stories. I knew it here. But I didn't have it here. And when that happened, everything changed. Forever. You know, he gives us a free will. Isn't that amazing? We have the power to choose. You chose to come here today and listen to the Vance Halls. And tomorrow we make more choices. And that's our Christian life, right? What we choose to do. And a lot of our story started with one choice. One choice to come to a church meeting on a Friday night. We really didn't care to go on a Friday night, <laughs> to be really honest. We were reluctant, reluctant to come. Very much undeserved of that invitation to come to church and unearned for the meeting that God had prepared for us that night, January of 2000, January 20th of 2000. But just a choice to come, God honored that. He is merciful, he's kind, he's loving and forgiving and allowed us to meet with him in one encounter with the living God. Heart to heart, face to face, changed us forever. Still being changed today in presence of worship. That was amazing. I speak Jesus of that song. So yeah, it's just several decisions in our life that led us to here. But what those decisions lead up to, you know, one led to the next, which led to the next. And, you know, for us, it was very interesting. We were raised in Christian homes, but when we started to really live this gospel and be sold out for Jesus, they kind of thought we were strange, not of this world, and 
maybe caught up in some kind of a cult or something that was really off because we were making such radical decisions for him. But we understood that because they hadn't received the call that we had. And I don't have your call. But praise God, all they have to do is be me. Amen? That should bring us comfort. So one decision led to another, and we would have never, ever dreamed we would be on the mission field in China. I'll tell you the honest truth. We were in a church meeting in Florida, and the pastor was talking about missions work and being raised enough to know what a missionary was like. They gave me that sick feeling in my stomach, thinking, Lord, anything but that. <laughs> I'm okay to sit in this church pew and, you know, do the Christian thing, but not that. But when I met him and followed him, it became the desire of my heart. That's what he does. He does that deep work in us that changes everything. So I want to talk about two things. You know, there's so much I could share about uh, the last 20 years. I can't believe we can say we've been in ministry 20 years already. What a blessing to serve him. So many things, you know, impacted my Christian walk, but probably if I had to narrow it down, it would be two things. The love of the Father and the power of the Holy Spirit. Changed my life. So I want to talk about those two things real quick. First one is found in Luke chapter 3. You can turn there if you want. We're going to read in Luke chapter 3, verse 16 and 17. This is John the Baptist. We know John the Baptist was sent as a forerunner to prepare the way for the Lord. John made it clear by telling them, there is one coming who is mightier than I. He is supreme. In fact, I'm not worthy of even being his slave. I can only baptize you in this river but he will baptize you in the spirit of holiness and into his raging fire. I'm reading from the Passion Translation. It just sometimes gives more passion to the language, but what a strange verse the first time I read that. What do you mean he's going to baptize you in the Holy Spirit and fire? I knew that was truth. Obviously, it was in the Word, but I had no experience, no reference for what that meant. I was raised in a Baptist church and loved the Lord, knew the stories, but I didn't know what it meant to be baptized in the Holy Spirit and fire. But, you know, we've come to realize that everything in this Bible is true. Everything. He cannot lie. And he put everything in here for a reason. It's our job to find out. And when he touched our heart and realized how good he is, we wanted everything. We wanted all of him. We wanted to know all about this kingdom he had paid for. As we took communion again today, we're forever in this life, we will come to to learn and understand and have further revelation of the price he paid 
one drop of his blood, how powerful. I want to read uh, just some of the notes in this verse and share a little bit about that. Again, it says uh, in verse 16, the Aramaic reads, he will baptize you into the spirit of the Holy One and in light. A baptism of light or fire would cleanse and change a life, giving new power to live for God and deal with every issue that hinders love and passion from burning in our hearts. It is the baptism of the Holy Spirit that is needed today. Amen? It is this baptism that comes to get rid of the stuff that hinders my walk with him. He's done it all. By the finished work on the cross, his all-sufficient grace, he paid for everything I need in this life. It's my job to seek out what does this mean to be baptized in your spirit? What does that mean for the fire of God to come into my life? What it means is I tried. I tried in my own strength to be a good person, a good husband. And Dina can tell you, it, you know, my trying was okay, but was not the same as when I received his strength, his power, being filled with him giving me the power to overcome the things that needed to be overcome. So that's what it's about. It's about being real. Being baptized in the Holy Spirit and fire is about being a good husband. Being somebody that's truthful and has integrity. Being able to overcome problems, whether it's drugs alcohol, addictions, the things as you know, good people you want to be free from. We have no power in our own strength. But he has the power to deal with that. And he can make a quick work. What would take us years of striving and trying as we come to meet with him, we get baptized in his holy fire and we become part of the fellowship of the burning hearts do I have any in that club this morning the fellowship of the burning hearts I'll share a quick story about this we were um, new at this walk with the Lord like I said uh, I was ready in my 30s and had this encounter where God changed everything in my life. And so I was in a, a church meeting. And we were hosting a, a group from a fellow church that had just recently come back from a short-term missions trip. And they were testifying of what had been done and just giving personal testimony. One of the guys testifying said, well... Let me tell you my background. I'm a prison guard, and God came and changed my life, just filled me with such love, and it's caused me to go on missions trips and give my life to the Lord. And I just uh, love the people I work with and 
the ones I'm guarding, and it sometimes was difficult for him to do his job. He had such love in his heart, and I saw that in him, and I wanted that, and it was that simple. And so I, they shared their testimonies and had an altar call and were willing to pray for people, and it was that simple. I said, I heard what you said. I love what I see on you, and, and would you please pray for me? He prayed a simple prayer, and I felt the love of God come in me. I ended up on the floor. I don't quite know what God was doing other than I could feel the love of God like in every cell of my being. It was just a really strange feeling inside, and it must have looked a little strange outside because I remember him talking to his friend as they were looking at me and telling his friend, look at him. It wasn't making fun, but it had to look like something. But I know I felt something different. I felt baptized in his love. And Dina can tell you, too, she's had a time of being baptized in his love and changes everything from the inside out. How we see people, how we see life, how we see him. Everything changed forever grateful. I want to share another story. Turn to Luke chapter 24. I want to read in those verses. You know, before I get there, you know, what it would what would it be like if Jesus himself came into the door today? What would we do? Worship him, hands raised, would we be on our face? What would we do, right? We can only imagine. Great song, great movie. But what would we really do when the king of glory come in? Again, he's better than I can imagine. I can't wait to see him face to face. And to imagine that he was with the disciples, doing life with them in person. And then for Jesus to say to them, it's better if I leave you. That really hit me the first time I read that verse in John 16, where Jesus himself said, it's good for me. Jesus, your Lord and Savior, it's good if I leave you. Why? Because he was going to the Father, and the Father was going to send the promise of the Holy Spirit to us so he could be with me, and he could be with you every day, everywhere. So it was amazing truth and amazing revelation. And I think this verse is a verse we need more than ever. In Luke chapter 24, verse 49. For you are my witnesses and have seen for yourselves all that has transpired. And I will send the fulfillment of the Father's promise to you. So stay here in the city until the mighty power of heaven falls upon you and wraps around you.
That's the whole gospel right there, really. You know, it's talking about the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit in one verse. The Father sent the Son, and he, he loved me before I loved him. He loved me when I didn't deserve it. I hadn't earned it. He just loved me. Father sent his son to, to pay the price. I have a son, and I don't know if I could sacrifice my sons for those that hated, despised them. That kind of love we are still learning and seeking. But the Father has that kind of love for us. He sent his son. Jesus himself, right towards the end, before he's getting ready to leave, again, he's talking to his disciples. This is some of the most important things. It was right at the end. What would you say if it was the end of your time? What would you tell your friends and your family? Important words. He told them, wait. Wait for the power. It's coming. We read in Acts chapter 1. Again, it says what? You will receive power. You will receive power to be my witness. I could not be a witness of Jesus Christ without his power. Like I said, I tried. I was unfruitful. I was selfish, self-centered, and miserable inside. I heard a, a, an analogy in a, the book I'm reading. It's a great book about the Holy Spirit called The Gift and Giver. And it's like, what if Dean and I flew in here to Des Moines and nothing was turned on? You had no lights, no appliances. Nothing was turned on because you thought there was no power only to realize there was really unlimited power. You had just never turned anything on. Just assumed, well, there's no power. That sounds ridiculous to us, right? But we've heard of stories, and we, the truth is, you know, the angels look at us in amazement that we carry so much power and authority that we don't even realize. We are his sons and daughters. We have been given power from on high. Why? So that we could be blessed. We could be free and we could be whole and healthy. That's first. We need his power to be blessed so that we could be a blessing, so that we could be a witness. We receive comfort so we can comfort others. He gives us a testimony so we have something to share with the world. And look at all the testimonies in here. The world needs what we have, but they need power. And there's no, he's made no excuse for us. He says right here, go and wait on it. Well, I tried that. I prayed that prayer and nothing happened. I tried that one time. How long would you be willing to wait for something that you know would change your life? Again, it is a guarantee. It's in the word. It's not my best suggestion for success in life. It's the power of the Holy, the Holy One, the living God inside you. And he is so good. That one meeting we had with him, that one encounter made us forever 
hungry for more. We're burning for him stronger than ever. 21 years later, I feel like I'm just beginning in this. Just have scratched the surface of how good he is, how much power and authority he wants us to walk in. He is amazing. You have been blessed, and he wants to bless you more so that you can go out and be Jesus to the world and love well. So seek the touch from him. That touch that fills you with his love. So much that you go out and give it away. And you do life from the overflow. He wants you to fill you with more than enough. And then you realize, wow, the more we give away in the kingdom, he just multiplies back to you. So the power of his love and the power of the Holy Spirit. Go for it. It's real. It's in the word. The first time I had an encounter with this, I'm like, what do you mean filled with the Holy Spirit? Do you speak in tongues? What do you do? What happens? And for me, it was just very simple. There, I was at a church that was used to this. They were flowing in this for many, many years, and they were in revival. And so they would have an altar call and by this time, they had really good methods and practices and things put in place to handle the hunger, which you need to be ready for. I fully believe that the Lord wants us to prepare for the harvest. And so how would we prepare our church if all of a sudden the Lord sent us 500 more, 1,000 more? So it was very simple for them, and they had it all organized. And they, you would come for this line if you want to be born again. Come for this line if you want physical healing. Come to this line if you want to be filled with the Spirit and speak in tongues. And I thought, whoa, wow, that's very strange. But that's interesting. I, again, I, I read it in here. I believe it. I believe it would have power for my life. I need all the help I can get. And I went to the line. They ushered us to the back of the room. And it was very simple. They explained the truth. They read the verses as I had read them. And I said, do you believe it? Yes, we all shook our head, of course. Yes, we believe the scriptures. And they said, okay, receive it. It wasn't anything weird. It wasn't anything strange. It was the truth. And I needed the spirit. The spirit and the truth together becomes powerful. And so I received that encounter that day. I received all the Holy Spirit had for me, and he filled me again and, and again and again and again. And he fills us every day. And it's caused us to live a life of miracles. And there's no better life as a Christian than a life of miracles. Amen? I want to introduce Dina to come up and share... God was kind enough to allow me to marry up. And I'm forever thankful. Dina, come on up. <laughs> He's pretty cute. <laughs> I think I'm the one that married up. But... Oh, goodness. Okay, just bear with me, okay? And... 
I'm just going to try and process through some things. And, you know, the pastors had asked us to kind of, you know, share, share the story and kind of share the process of, of what happened in our life. And I, you know, I know, like, like if you know about, um, you know, like Heidi Baker or somebody like that, you might, it might seem like a life like that is so, so far, like out of reach, like all the things that they do in Africa or whatever. And just wanted to let you know, this isn't, this isn't about missions and going to another country. Um, I want to kind of demonstrate what faith looked like in our life through the process. And I'm hoping that it will encourage you exactly where you are. I remember hearing a pastor say one time, it struck me so profoundly because he said, it would be unjust for you to sit here and listen to a testimony of this person or that person and sit in the audience and, and think, wow, that's amazing, and just have admiration in your heart. That would be unjust to the word of God because this, um, uh, what the Lord wants to do is he wants multiplication, and he doesn't want me to multiply Chinese missionaries. He wants there to be multiplication in that, okay, what is the sphere of influence that, do you, that you have right now? Like, who are the people around you right now? And to take the stories and to take the testimonies and to apply, and to apply it to your spheres of influence. You know, we spent 16 years in China, and in February, you know, they kicked us out. And so my sphere of influence now is different than my sphere of influence was when I was in China. And so it applies differently. And I just want everyone in the room to understand that the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. It really is. It, it's got a prophetic utterance. And, you know, like if you look at that in, in Revelation 19, where it talks about the bride preparing herself for the wedding day. And, and in that passage, you know, it says um, that I've given it to the bride to perfect to prepare herself for the wedding day and for her to put on her wedding garments. I think a lot of times we think that Jesus is going to come and dress us because of the blood and the grace, but it's actually not the case. The blood and the grace lead us to, okay, I'm taking this off and I'm putting this on and I'm actively working working with you in order to do that. And But at the end of that passage, it's fascinating because that's where it says, because the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. And I realize that, you know, like if you think about, let's say, the, the salvation message and leading somebody, you know, through the ABC prayer, you know, and uh, to accept Christ, haven't you seen somebody who... Um, said the prayer of salvation and there was absolutely no change right have you i i have i've led you know ministered lots you know the gospel all over the world and led lots of people to the lord and and some people who said the prayer of salvation had a transformation and some people who said a prayer there was no change why because there was no faith 
right? You can say words, but without faith, there's no exchange. There's no divine interaction. Same with baptism. You know, you can come and be baptized, which is a powerful, just like salvation is a supernatural exchange, right? We can't do it. He does the, he makes the exchange when there's faith in Christ and there's this holy divine exchange. Same with baptism. It's not just about going under the water and coming out and letting everybody see that you went under the water and came out. When there's faith attached, there's actually an impartation of death where before it was more difficult and now it's like, no, I want to die to my old life. And then resurrection, you know, I, I want to live in the power of the Holy Spirit. When there's faith involved, there's supernatural encounter. It's the same with, you know, all the sacraments, communion, exact same thing. You can take communion and there be no holy exchange. But if you take it with faith, man, Something happens, the body, the blood now stirring inside of me, a part of me. It's a supernatural exchange. The testimony is exactly the same premise. You can listen to a testimony and it, and it be good and inspiring, even promote tears or whatever. And there's not, if there's not faith to think, wait a minute, this is the testimony of Jesus. It's not the testimony of Mike and Dina that this is what Jesus did, and he's no respecter of person. What does this mean for me? And so I was just wanting, like, kind of everybody to clue in right now. And just if you'd close your eyes and put your hand over your heart. And I was just, you know, like remembering the scripture that says that, you know, a good father who knows how to give good things to his children, if his son asks for bread or an egg, he won't give him a snake or a stone but he'll actually give him the good things that he asked for. How much more will the Father in heaven pour out the Holy Spirit on those that ask? And so, Father, right now, in the name of your precious Son, Jesus, we don't know how to do this, but we do know that we need more and we want more. And, Father, we thank you that we don't have to be afraid of you in a bad way. We thank you that we can be open, bare-chested before you, and we can trust that you're going to give us the good thing that we ask for. And so, Father, in our sphere of influence, we ask that you would highlight, highlight to us what it is you're asking us to do, where you're asking us to go, and would you give us the power to do what you've called us to do in Jesus' name. Amen. And so... You know, I, I tell people a lot of times that, you know, my, my uh, Christian experience is interesting because I was born from a Catholic womb. My grandparents were Catholic, and my grandmother loved Jesus more than anyone that I've ever met. She loved worship, and she loved Jesus, and my mother was Catholic when she had me. I have such a great honor and respect for the faith in the Catholic Church. No division, no judgment, because people worship differently than me. I count it as a great honor that I have a rich heritage. 
And so I um, was born from this Catholic womb, and shortly after, my father, who was raised in a charismatic Pentecostal church, introduced that to my mom, and my mom, um, you know, just had an encounter with Christ, so I was raised in a charismatic church, and then I married a Baptist husband, and I had all of these rich rich experiences with the body of Christ that I'm that I'm so thankful for but leading up to January of 2000 you know I just have to say that like you know like Mike said and I'm just going to speak for myself right now but I was raised you know every time the doors of the church were open we were there you know and Royal Rangers and you know the whole the whole nine yards and you know the way that we used to have church you know on Sunday Sunday night Wednesday night Thursday you know like all all of that good stuff and Sunday school before church and all of that and so I was I was raised to know the Bible I knew scripture um, I and um, and I would say I believed but as I got older you know like in um, in high school and college, um, you know, just kind of just lived in the world and did my own thing. And I remember when Mike and I got married, um, it became a little more important, like what I believed. I, I was just kind of being carried along up until that point, but it came more important when we had our own kids. Because, you know, even though I was taught to believe, I didn't I didn't see any of the things in the Bible in my life. And so that causes some doubt, right? Like, okay, does Jesus really heal? And if, like, do I really have power? Um, I'd never led anybody to the Lord. I'd never cast out a demon, never raised the dead, you know, never, you know, never. But I couldn't deny that there were, the life of Jesus was full of, Supernat- not just healing, but supernatural experience and encounters. And Mike and I, you know, when we had kids, we would say, what are we going to teach our kids? You know, Catholic womb, charismatic background, you know, Baptist. Like, where do we land? Because it, be- like, it was one thing for me to believe whatever, but to teach a child seemed like such a great responsibility, and there were so many different avenues to that. And, and so um, I, we began to talk and say, you know, if you've ever seen The Father of Lights, you might have heard me say this in the movie, but, you know, I would say, I know that I'm supposed to love God. Like, everybody says, you have to love God. You have to love Jesus. And I believe that but I don't know how to do that. Like, if I'm honest, if I'm just being honest, like, I believe I can go to church, I can, you know, I can put on the face, but if you asked me if I was in love with Jesus, I just didn't feel like I knew how to get there, even though it was a desire of our our heart or my heart. So leading up to the year 2000, was just kind of in the back of my mind and just processing. And I think one key, you know, I know that there's people from in all different stages of life, but I think one key um, that was important for me is just evaluating and being honest with myself where I was really at, you know, with the Lord, like um, instead of just going with the flow um, to say, you know what, it my my life doesn't look 
like what Christianity in the Bible look like. Therefore, God, what is the problem? Where has the disconnect be? And so that in itself didn't change anything. But what it did is it started leading me into communicating honestly with God as to where I was at. And so I remember that night that Mike was talking about in January of 2000 because my mother, who was a strong woman of God, and go moms, pray your kids into the kingdom. You know, don't give up because, man, I was as backslidden as backslidden could be. And I dabbled in all kinds of things. And I was a hot mess. And, you know, and, um, and nobody knew what a hot mess we were, you know, inside because we had great jobs. We were very wealthy. We had fancy cars, you know, two beautiful sons and live in the American dream, right? And um, so it looked perfect on the outside, completely hollow on the inside. And so my mom calls me and she says, this, this pastor is coming. He's really good, Dina. You guys need to go. And again, like Mike said, Friday night, mm-mm. I worked. I worked all day. I was tired and just didn't feel like going to church. And I'll go on Sunday, but nothing extra. And my mother persisted. And she just said, I'll watch. I'll babysit the kids. Ding, ding, ding. You know, free babysitter. I'm in, you know. So, um, so uh, you know, she persisted until we just couldn't say no anymore. It's like, all right, all right, we'll go. And, of course, um, as was common for us, we were late, you know, and so we pull up to the church, and it was packed. It was packed so much that there was an overflow room, and I was thankful for that, and I thought, okay, I'll get out of this. I'll be in the overflow room. I'll satisfy my mom. I'll, you know, go through the motions, and and then we'll we'll head to the rest of the weekend, and so this guy, this is going to seem, I'm just going to tell you the story, okay, because it's what happened, and you can put it in whatever, you know, area that it falls in. But this happened to me, so um, it's my experience. So this guy met us at the door. He was an usher. And he meets us at the door, and he grabs my arm. The music is blaring. Worship is in full force. Wasn't used to that. Even though I was raised in a charismatic church, it was a very conservative charismatic church. And so this music was loud, blaring. People were worshiping hard. And, um, and this guy g- grabs me by the arm, and he said, you must be pastors, and he starts leading us up to the front row. And me, coming from all those backgrounds, you know, at church, like, I was scared to death of God. And so I was like, I didn't want to lie to get a good seed or anything like that. And so I'm trying to yank my arm, out, and I'm saying, no, you don't understand. We're not. And it was literally, it was like he could not hear me. And he was this excited, weirdly excited man. And... And he kept, like, the music's blaring, and he's, he will not release my arm. He's walking us down the, and Mike's just following. He doesn't know what to do. And he walks us down, and he's shouting, fire. And I'm like, what the heck? You know, like, this, this is weird. This is strange. Didn't agree with it. I was raised, like, 
you be reverent in church, like you're quiet and you're reverent so you don't interrupt what the spirit is doing in other people around you. Like, you know, like there was a, there was a way that you acted in church and that was not it. <laughs> and so he just kept saying, fire, fire, and then plopped us down in the front row. And all of a sudden, the worship stopped and this pastor got up and all I honestly remember, I remember how humbly he spoke and just the thoughts that were going through my head were I'd never heard anybody talk about Jesus the way that he talked about him. Like, I remember thinking, he knows God. Like, he knows Jesus. And once that kind of hit me, it was so drawing to me, like, I just, in the way that he talked about him, it was like Jesus was his best friend. And, but in a, in a super honoring way, in a super humble way. And, and he was talking about, it was like he was in the bedroom with Mike and I, you know, in our conversations. Like, do you ever think that there should be more to the Christian life? You know, have you ever wondered, you know, are you, are you living the fullness of what Jesus died for? And, and my, like, as he's talking, I've been in church my whole life, you know, not had this to happen, but my heart is pounding out of my chest, and I'm, like, screaming inside, that's me. Like, that's me. I want more, but I've tried. I've prayed every prayer. I've confessed every sin. I've gone to the front. I've said the prayer of salvation a gazillion times, and it hasn't led to that, and I didn't want to be disappointed again. So I was, you know, my heart was pounding, and he said, you know, if you want more, it's really simple. He said, you want to know what you do? And I was like, tell me, you know, <laughs> and, 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 uh, he said, you just just ask for it. He said, just tell God that you, that you want more, that you're not satisfied with where you are. Just tell him that you want more. And I was like, well, that's got to be too good to be true, you know, like, and because I was 30 years old at the time. So I just thought, you know, been there, tried that. But there was, some, there was something that was so stirring inside of me that when he called for the altar call, instinctively, without talking, Mike and I grabbed hands and we ran to the front. Now, this was not, like, I was very proper. You have to understand, like, dressed to the T, you know, like, um, just my mother was a Southern lady who taught me manners, and, you know, you never call attention to yourself, kind of, so the last thing I ever wanted was to cause a scene in the front of the church, or to, or to let everybody know that I didn't have my act together, you know, I was just very, very um, conceited, and hypocritical and and uh but at the moment when when he called I remember thinking I I remember saying to myself Jesus I want you more than anything and I don't care what it looks like and I don't care what you do to me as long as you meet me up front I said I'm all in I'm just telling you I'm all in so we get up to the front, and, you know, it's just a soft-spoken. It wasn't, 
it wasn't wild. It wasn't, you know, overly charismatic. But he just went one person at a time, just one little finger on the forehead. And he was just saying, more, Lord. More, Lord. And he got to me and he said, Lord, she wants more. Give her more. And when he said, give her more, no lie, the power of God hit my body and it felt like I stuck my finger in the electric socket. It was so powerful that it was painful. And but it, at the same time that it was physically painful, like the 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 power that I was feeling going up and down my body, it was I, like I I was in complete control of my thoughts. So there was never a time where I was I couldn't I couldn't control like I couldn't. I, or I wasn't thinking, I was thinking through the whole thing, but I was experiencing this power. And so um, so this electricity is going up and down my body, and I was, it was terrifying, but I, was, I felt so alive. For the first time in my life, I was just, it just felt like, like the, you know, the energy of the universe was just, coursing up and down my body and almost like oh my goodness like he's really touching me like he's really doing this and before I knew it you know like um I was I was down on the floor and and when I was down on the floor this is what happened so I I began crying and I was crying 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 I mean like ugly cry, cry, crying, crying, crying. And and I remember it wasn't because, like, God was exposing all my sin and, you know, like I was, you know, like just aware of what a sinner I was. My whole life I had tried to love God. My whole life I knew that that was the most important thing and I couldn't do it. But in that moment, it wasn't about me loving God. It was about God loving me. And the love of God was just, I mean, it was coursing through my body like tangible, thick waves. And I was crying because I could not believe how good he was. Like, I could not believe how accepting he was and how genuine he was, all of those things. And so, and then the next minute, and I didn't like this either previously because I'd seen it happen, but I hated laughing in church. I just thought it was disrespectful, and I did not like it, and it was disruptive. And so, but then the next thing I know, like, I'm laughing hysterically, and I'm, and there is so much joy, and it's one of my favorite manifestations of the Spirit. I've only had a couple of, a couple of times when it's real, it is the most incredibly and much needed encounter, this joy of the Lord, where it was just what it felt like to me was pure life. It felt like life and the goodness of life was radiating through my body. And I was there was so much joy that I was just belly laughing and belly laughing, belly laughing. And then the next next minute it was so his love was so good I'd be crying, crying, crying. And it just went back and forth and back and forth about an hour or so on the floor. And I remember getting up off the floor and you know and I was thinking <laughs> what just happened like what what was that because at some point you get up and you don't necessarily feel 
the same things that you felt during an encounter. And so I just felt like me again, you know, it's like, what was that? And I went, we went home that night and I woke up the next morning, like four o'clock in the morning. And I remember having this overwhelming desire to read the Bible. Like, you know, before it was like part of my daily Christian life. You know, I knew I had to. My mom always told me, read the Bible, read the Bible, read the Bible. And But there's this, this hunger. And so the fruit of the encounter, I remember right away, like it wasn't about laughing, crying, laughing, crying, falling down, any of that. When I got up, there was fruit and there was there was good fruit. And first was the word, you know, and I was just it was like every book of the Bible that I read was like a love letter. I remember reading numbers and thinking, oh, my goodness, look at this. God is so good. And he's, you know, like it was just I couldn't I, I couldn't believe it. I was and I was just, you know, like devouring the word. And the, the next fruit that I started noticing is the the desire for worship. And it just was like, you know, people had said, oh, don't go to that church. They're weird or don't, you know, they don't, they don't, you know, have faith or don't. We didn't care. We just wanted to be with any time the doors were open and we heard of a, somebody having worship. We were there. I remember sitting in a Catholic wedding on Boca Grande. It's like the billionaires bought out the millionaires on this little island down in Florida. And I was invited to a wedding sitting in, and they had opened, the, opened a hymn book and we were singing, you know, a, a hymn at this Catholic wedding in this Catholic church. And I was just crying, 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 you know, it's like, Jesus, what is going on? You know, but it was just this, you know, like, the thing that I had been waiting for, and then the last thing that I just started noticing was just this overwhelming love, you know, and love for God and, and love for people. And I remember sitting in, in the chair for, you know, hours on end talking to the Lord. And one of my favorite things, which I still pray almost daily, still after 21 years, is, God, I feel like I never knew you. I want to know, what do you love? Like, tell me what you love, because if you love it, and I know it's all in the word, but I was I was having a personal relationship with him now, you know, and I was reading the word, but I was like, tell me what's on your heart. What do you love? Because if you love it, I want to love it too. And I remember almost immediately faces of children would just, it was my first encounter ever even having what you might think of as, as visions, but faces of, of orf orphans and faces of the poor and faces of, you know, widows would just, would just cross through my mind. And, and I would just say, God, I, you know, I don't, I don't know how to reach them. What do I do? And, and, and then all of a sudden it hit me too. Like, well, if you love things, is there anything that you hate? You know, I just I said, God, do you, you know, is there things that you hate? Can you, sh if you hate it, I want to hate it too. And, and so the Lord, you know, just simply said to me, I, you know, I hate sin. And of course I knew that, but it, he expounded and he said, he said, Dina, I hate, I hate sin because every sin that you can imagine or think of destroys relationship. 
And, and if you can think of any, you know, any sin right now, think of any, any sin, that sin is exposed. It just destroys trust. It destroys intimacy. It destroys relationship. And the heart of God about sin is just, I just want us to be a happy family. I want us to be in relationship with each other. And, and so, you know, it was, um, it was amazing, and I felt like at that time, even though and this, some people don't agree with me on this, and, and that's okay. I don't, I don't actually know that I'm right. This is just what I think. But even though I had said the prayer of salvation like a gazillion times, like I'd said growing up, you know, and all of that, I believe that the moment that I came forward, and whatever that was, I believe it was my salvation that, that that was, like, I experienced what I think is supposed to happen at self. There was, there was a transformation. My heart was flipped upside down and inside out. And um, I think I got the whole shumba and the boomba all at one time. You know, it's salvation filled with the Holy Spirit. It was, it was, it was amazing. And from that, too, um, we... I remember, and I remember the, the day that Mike said, oh, God, please don't send us to the mission field. You know, I remembered, like, you know, that whole thing. And shortly after this, I think it was just a couple of months, was, you know, there was doing their first trip to Brazil. And um, immediately when, when we both heard it, our hearts leapt. We're like, we want to, you know, we want to do that. And I mean, we were as yuppie as yuppie could be, you know, and and um, I remember telling my parents, even though they were believers, Christians, I told them that we wanted to go to Brazil on this missions trip, and they did not like it. They they were afraid, and they. My, I remember my mom at that time. I was a lot younger, and she said, "Dina, you're beautiful. And what if somebody like captures you and takes you, you know, away?" And I didn't care about any of you know any of that. I just was like, "If Jesus is in Brazil, I want to go to Brazil." And and so off we went. You know, my parents took care of our children, bless their heart, and and we went to Brazil and um. You know, it wasn't like in this whole process, like I turned into this great woman of faith. It was like every step towards Jesus led to another step. And almost everything that happened up through China, I felt afraid. Like when we went to Brazil, I'd never seen heal. I'd never seen anyone healed. I'd never seen anyone delivered. Guys, I saw the craziest miracles I, with my own eyes. I saw the craziest miracles and crazy deliverances. It was it was incredible. But one of the best things that happened was that there was like a hundred people on the team to on this trip to Brazil, and they were picking two women to go on the street in the black magic district to minister to prostitutes on the street. Now I don't. Like, I, 
I had a good upbringing. I, I wasn't one that came out of drugs and alcohol or anything like that. And so I was like hiding in the back, like just praying, Jesus, don't let it be me. Like I wouldn't ever even know what to do, what to say, what to any of that. And so I was just like, I'm learning, I'm learning. And and so the, they said, well, we're just going to pray and see where, what God is leading of who to bring, you know, on on this outing. And came back, and of course, they <laughs> said, you and you, and I was like, inside, completely terrified, and, and, you know, I said, well, you know, I'll put together, let me pray about it, (laughs) and I went back to the hotel room, and, you know, I just felt the Lord's heart, and I just said, God, and I've said this again throughout my story, like, I just never want to say no, I never want to say no to you, if there's ever anything that you're asking me to do, I want to say yes, but I'm going to tell you I'm afraid, and so you just have to be with me if we're going to do this, and so got up the next morning, and the, the, the leaders, one leader, he gave me one little translator that was littler than me, he bought a bunch of roses, put them in my arms like this, and he sent us by ourselves in the witchcraft district, and the only instruction he gave us was, be careful because the pimps had gu- have guns and they will shoot you. And so just pray and be careful, literally. And he, they were just like, go, go. And here I'm, I, like, t- I'm terrified. Like, I'm walking down the street <laughs> with these roses and thinking, I don't even know what to say. Like, at that point, I'd never led anyone to the Lord face to face. And here I am, a missionary <laughs> in Brazil, not really, but, you know. And so, so I, you know, I'm like praying the whole time and, and asking God what to do. And all of a sudden, I see a brothel, and I see another brothel, and I see another brothel, and the women are everywhere. And, you know, guys, the gospel is simple. And, like, just even the way that I'm talking, like, you don't have to be anybody that you're not. God knows exactly your personality. He knows if you're an eloquent speaker or you're not an eloquent speaker. You don't have to you don't have to look like what you think you're supposed to look like. You just do your best and your best is always enough because he meets your little lunch with his great big power and he just does it. He just does it and he actually really likes the, the foolish things, like he just really does. So I just don't want anybody to be scared or think you don't know what to do. So I just, I remember I just handed the rose to the first lady. I was like, okay, I'm just going to do this. And I just said something like, do you see the rose? Do you see how beautiful it is? Smell it. Do you smell how pretty it smells? The Lord just wants you to know that he sees you as a rose. He sees you beautiful. He sees who he created you to be, and he loves you. And I just, from that little phrase, just began sharing the gospel, just the simple, not somebody else's story, just the simple, what God had done done to me. And all of a sudden, I had this group, you know, gathered around me, all these women gathered around me. And by the end of me sharing I just said, does anybody, does anybody want Jesus? Every single woman raised their hand. And on the street that day, every single woman received 
Jesus with tears and with, you know, like it. And I remember at that moment, it felt, you know, like I had what I call, you know, like an infilling or a baptism of the Holy Spirit, whatever. This was a different baptism. And I do believe in the word, if you see, there are different baptisms. And I had what I believe was a baptism of love. And all of a sudden, I'm looking at the faces. Some of these women were older than me. Some of these women were these were just young girls that were prostitutes. And and I just all of a sudden, it felt like they were my own. You know, like it felt like they were my babies. And I like there's just this this love this that I'd never. I was always only concerned with myself. You know, with my own family's needs, with all of that, and then all of a sudden, now, you know, this mama lion was coming out of me. Like I just wanted to protect them and help them, and and all of that good stuff. And and that encounter just radically, radically, along with all the other things that happened on that trip, changed my life. And so, as we were on the airplane traveling home from this trip that, you know, like I said, there was a hundred people on this trip and everybody was like jittering and chattering about, you know, their experiences. And they were saying things like, I'll never be the same again. You know, this changed my life. I'll never be the same again. And something inside of me, it was like the Lord was saying, that's not true. And I was like, and at first I like was trying to bind that up. I was like, Dina, you don't be prideful already. You know, you like, you need to humble yourself and you don't know anything. And, you know, so I'm trying to like put myself down and, and all of that. And the Lord's voice just got louder and louder. And he, and I said, tell me what you mean. And he says, Matthew 25. I didn't even, I didn't like know, you know, do to do Matthew 25 is this. Like, I didn't know that. And so I went and opened the word and it was the story of the talents or the minas. Right. And in that story, you know, one had one, one had 10 or one had five, one had 10, whatever the ratios were, depending on which gospel you're in. But, um, you know, and that there was a requirement for what what they were given to be stewarded and multiplied. And that the one that, you know, like everybody was was given different portions, you know, one was super, super anointed, and one just was silly and foolish or whatever, you know, but everybody was expected in the story to use what they had been given, and the Lord spoke to me, and he said, Dina, if you don't use what I gave you here, you will lose it. He said, I'll actually take take it away from you and give it to someone else, and I was terrified. I said, it. I just felt like I had, I had gotten everything that I always knew was true to be in the Bible. And I said, God, I don't, I don't want to lose it, but I live in a, a rich neighborhood. You know, like I, I don't know prostitutes. I don't even know where prostitutes hang out. I don't, there's no homeless people at that time where we lived. There was, I said, I, I don't know how to find, the, you know, I don't know where these people are, are. And he said, well, Dina, you may need to drive. Never even crossed my mind that it wasn't like a ministry that was in the church. You know, like I just thought, well, our church doesn't even have a, a food pantry. You know, like we, we don't have. And he was like, you, you may need to drive. And I was like, oh, all right. And so I, but I didn't know where to drive to. And so I prayed. 
see the little steps. So I just I remember praying and saying, God, you know, for over the next couple of weeks, I don't want to lose it. I don't know where to go. Show me where to drive. And so I was cooking dinner one day and put a meatloaf in the oven. You know, women, men uh, who cook meatloaf, about an hour it needed to cook in the oven. And immediately I put that in the oven and the Lord said, go now. And I said, okay, what do I do? And just, you know, put a bottle of water peanut butter and jelly sandwich was all I had, you know, and um, I wrote on the, on the outside of the brown paper bag, Jesus loves you, and I only had enough for five sandwiches, 10 pieces of bread, you know, and so I put it in the bag, and I told Mike, I said, the Lord wants us to go feed feed the hungry, and he was like, okay, let's go, and so we packed the kids up in our station wagon, our Volvo station wagon at that time, and we packed them up in the car, and we got, you know, and we were so excited, we're like, God's doing something, you know, we're so excited, and we get in the car, and I'm driving, and he's sitting in the passenger seat, and I realize I have no idea where I'm going, and so we, I said, I don't know where to go, so we prayed, and just a thought in my mind, Indian Mound Park, just this little park area. And so I said to Mike, kind of sheepishly, I don't, you know, I'm learning how to hear God's voice. I said, I don't know if this is God or not, but just kind of am hearing Indian Mound Park. And Mike's like, let's do it. You know, he's always so supportive of all my crazies. And, and so let's do it. And so we drive to Indian Mound Park. The sun was going down. We only have an hour before we burn the house down with the meatloaf that's left in the oven. You know, and so we, we drive through this little itty-bitty parking lot. And, and it was winter. And there was not one person, not there was not one person in the parking lot. And I felt really foolish. Like I just, even though it was just to my husband, you know, in front of my husband, I was like, I'm, you know, I'm really sorry. We wasted all this time, got the kids in the car seats, all of that. And he was like, it's okay. We're trying, we're learning, you know. And so I go to drive out of the parking lot and I hear the voice of God say, try again. Now, there was one way in, one way out. We had gone down this little itty-bitty, parking lot, nothing to speak of, nobody there. It was like Jesus who said, throw the net on the other side of the boat after fishing all night, you know, and I was like, so I sheepishly said to Mike, I feel like we're supposed to try one more time, and he's like, let's do it. So he turned the car back around and drive around, and out of the corner of my eye, I see a flicker of light in the woods next to the park. See this, and I just, I just knew I just knew. I put the car in park. I grabbed the bags. I start. I ran. Mike's trying to get the kids out of the car seat. I'm like singly focused, you know. And I was. I burst through the woods with these bags of of you know uh, peanut butter sandwiches, and there sat five homeless men around a little campfire, and they looked at me. And I looked at them, and I realized I had no idea what I was going to say. You know, and I, I stuck the bag out, and I said, Jesus loves you, and he doesn't want you to be ha- or he doesn't want you to be hungry. And one guy looked at me with tears in his eyes, and he said, in a sweet way, he said, are you an angel? And I said, no, I'm not an angel. I'm servant of God. I said, but he, Jesus loves you. And I just repeated myself. He loves you, and he... T- he cares that you're hungry, and he doesn't want you to be hungry. And I gave him the bags, and Mike's still walking up. 
And I didn't, I didn't know what else to do. So I gave him the bags and I turned around and walked away. Like there wasn't a salvation message or anything like that. It was just, it was us learning how to hear the voice of God and try. Now, were there times where we missed it? Absolutely. I remember being on a flight one time and, and the Lord was really like releasing the prophetic th- you know, prophetic through me, and, you know, it was, it was amazing, and so I had this word for the stewardess, and it was a very specific word, and it was a very intense word, a very specific word about her family, about a brother that was in the hospital, you know, just things that, that I felt like the Lord was speaking to me as I was pressing into him on the airplane, and and so I waited until everybody got off the airplane, and, and I waited to share this word for her. And that word was, I mean, on point, word for word. She was going to visit her brother that was in the hospital dying, and um, he had turned his back away from the Lord. It was, just, it was just amazingly on point, and so I was so excited. The word was right, and, you know, I got to pray for her, and she was so appreciative and, and all of that. And so I got on my connecting flight, and I felt like I had another, you know, word for another steward that was on that plane, and I did the same thing and waited until everybody got off and gave him the word, and he was like, mm-mm, none of that makes sense. I was like, not, no, you're wrong. <laughs> so I was like, okay, well, you know, I'm learning, and that's okay, you know, and so, you know, and I know that you've probably heard the analogy, but, you know, like a good parent a good parent never says to a child, you know, that that is, you know, beginning to walk and they fall down. They never say, you stupid child, you know, like I gave you two legs. I, you know, I gave birth to you. I've spent all this time. I gave you everything that you needed and you fell down. I want you to sit there and don't don't ever try again. You know, no, what does a good mother or a good father or grandparents do? They're like, Call 911, everyone, Johnny took his first step, you know, like get the video camera out and let's record this. And then, you know, and they're, they're like, oh my goodness, that was amazing. And boom, the child falls and they all rejoice. And, you know, the next day it's two steps. And before they know it, the child's running and the whole family is rejoicing. And I just want to say to you, for those of you that might think, I tried following God's voice and I made a mess or, it, you know, like it just didn't work. The enemy has a way of using what was supposed to be good parenting of the, of the Lord, good father teaching and training his children up. And the enemy has a way of trying to make that seem like failure and, um, and sit you on your hands and never move you again. And I just say, keep trying. Keep trying with, you know, all the gifts of the Spirit. In 1 Corinthians, it says that we should desire all the gifts of the Spirit, especially prophecy, but there should be a desire. It doesn't, we go after love. We pursue love, but it's good to desire and just try. And tell pe- I tell people all the time, you know, I'm, I feel like I heard this, or I feel like this is what, but I don't know 100%, but can I try? Can I try? Because I just know that God loves you, and maybe this, you know, maybe this is a word for you. And the Lord has really honored honored those, um, those pieces. And um, just a quick, 
quick other thing. Um, after we went to Brazil, you know, I, I just, I began, I began having just incredible experiences with the Lord, um, incredible dreams and, and visions, angelic visitation I never thought was possible. Not tons. I, I've had two encounters with the Lord where I, what I believe was face to face, you know, like not, not a dream, not a vision, like I had an encounter just twice in my whole walk with the Lord. And I also had one where the enemy came like face to face in China. And that was a whole nother experience. But, you know, when, when we got, when we were flying home from Brazil, I went, I had fell asleep on the plane and had a dream. And in the dream, uh, an angel came and woke me up the first time that this has ever happened. I never saw the face of the angel. I just saw the bottom, like from the neck down of this angel. And the angel um, woke me up and was silent. There was not a word spoken. And the angel had a scroll. I don't know if it was a male or female or I don't know what, you know, but it was just an angel. And um, dropped the scroll and there was a, a picture of a map, and the angel pointed to four places on the map, and one was Brazil, one was Africa, one was China, and one was England, and pointed, nodded to me like, do you see? And I just nodded back. The scroll went up, and it was gone, and I woke up trembling, just trembling, and, you know, we, we at that point, we didn't know that we were, I mean, we were still... He's working at a bank, speech-language pathologist, you know, just working. And uh, we weren't thinking of being full-time missionaries. But, you know, as every step that happened, one step led to another. So when the trip to Africa came up, you know, it was just three, three weeks, right? Three weeks in Africa. And by that time, so a long story, but um, we had already given up our secular jobs, and they, the pastor of the church that we were attending saw what God was doing and asked us if we would come on staff at the church. And so we went from really big paychecks to barely anything, you know, like, and, and um, so we didn't have a lot of money, and this trip to Africa came up, and it was expensive, really expensive to fly there and to do all of that for three weeks. And so we were, like, asking God, what, like, what do we do? Like, how do do we raise money? Like, what what does this look like? And and all of a sudden, the thought came to both of us. Well, and this may seem that this is just my experience. It may seem odd, but um, this is just how how he spoke to us. So um, we both had this thought. Well, we have a house, and we had a beautiful house, a swimming pool. It was a nice, big, fancy house. So well, you have a house, and it just seemed right to me instead of asking people for money like I had something that I could sell and so we talked about it and we just thought okay well we'll, we'll sell our house and we'll just downsize and get something smaller and so when my father heard that he's like have you lost your mind Dina and you know he said um three weeks you're selling your house 
for three weeks in Africa, then what? You know, and he just said, and, and it did, it seemed foolish. Like it seemed, but we were, it was, it was so joyful that we actually had something to offer that was our own to give to the Lord. And I just, we just said, well, well we're going to do that. And, and so we did. And we sold our house. It sold like in a couple of days, put it on the market, sold in a couple of days. And, you know, off we, off we went for three weeks in Africa. And on that trip, um, I remember that lots of, lots of things happened and uh, incredible, amazing things. And one of the greatest things was that all of the orphans gathered around us at the end. They, them, and then the pastors behind them laid their hands on us. And I mean, when they prayed, they prayed like they they prayed with all their heart and with all their mind, with all their strength, and they just poured poured into us. And there was an impartation through the laying on of hands with the children that completely wrecked us and, and changed and changed the trajectory of our life. And I remember feeling like we were supposed to adopt after well first of all i'd been praying i'd been at every place we had gone we'd been to orphanages and so i'd been praying god mike had had a vasectomy so we didn't want any more children and so um we uh, you know so instead of like doing something ourselves i would just pray 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 you know god send godly parents this just seemed like it ripped my heart out, you know. I just said, please, God, send good parents to these children. It's not right that they don't have mommies and daddies. And we just felt like one day just kind of tapped us on the shoulder and said, well, what about you? And I said, well, don't you remember we prayed about this and my husband had a vasectomy and we're not having any more children. And he was like, well, no, actually, like, you're the answer to your prayer. And I found like nine times out of ten, that's the case. The thing that burns passionately on our heart is like he's getting us to pray. And but it's like it's a it's a a view of our call of our future is what the the things that burn in our heart, especially in the areas of injustice, the things that burn on our heart is actually a place where the Lord wants us to actually step in and to to fill those places. And so I was. Um, I was excited then after I heard the, the Lord say that we're going to adopt. And so I go to Mike. I say, don't you want to adopt? And he was like, no. <laughs> Mm-mm. He's like, you know, he's a finance guy. He's the husband, the provider. And, you know, his whole brain working was like, we don't even have two pennies to rub together now. It would be, you know, uh, not wisdom to take in another child and da 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 and he said to me Dino would have to be an audible voice of the Lord and he was serious he loved the Lord as much as I did but he felt the weight of the responsibility of the family I honor him for that it was he's always been a great husband and so I was disappointed and so I went to prayer and I said God what do I what do I do with this because it didn't change what I was feeling him saying no but He's my husband, and I honor his position in the family. As so I said, what do I do with this? And the Lord said, Dina, your husband loves you so much, and you have so much influence in his life that if you keep on him and keep talking and talking, he'll do this for you and not for me. And he said, and you'll never receive what I have from the kingdom from that kind of 
that kind of offering. And from that, like the fear of the Lord settled on me. And I was like, well, I don't want it unless you're completely in it. And so he said, just pray. So I sat praying and I prayed and prayed and prayed. And one day, not I think maybe a month after that, Mike calls me and he and he said, I think we should adopt. And I was like, did you hear an audible voice of the Lord? I want to hear all about it. And he said, no, I listened to the radio. I said, what? He said, yeah, I was listening to the radio in my car. And he said, you know, this is a story we probably all heard about, I think it was starfish or sand dollars or whatever it was. And the little, the little boy on the beach, and there was thousands and thousands of sea stars on the on the beach and they were all dying because they had washed up on the beach and there was a little boy and he was you know chucking them one by one back in the water and this wise old man comes up with his hands in his pocket and says son what are you doing and he said i'm i'm throwing them back in the water he said what look at all of them there are thousands what difference what difference are you making he looked at this starfish in his hand, and he chucked it in the water, and he said, made a difference to that one. And that story was the thing that, see, God doesn't need, he, he, you know, he works, and whether it's an audible voice, which he does, an angelic visitation, which he does, a still small voice, which he does, he knows how to do stuff. And one of my favorite verses is the Lord's not slow in anything. Don't ever think that God is slow in your life or in, in what you're doing. He is so patient unto salvation. He's patient unto what his plan is and to what he's doing. And we, we have to learn to be patient with him, and especially in the area of prayer. Prayer just changes everything. The Lord has really turned us into to people of prayer and and if it wasn't for that you know on the floor sandwich bags to the homeless people brazil africa we never would have adopted our daughter and um you know remember getting you know we we signed up for all the paperwork to fill out for this daughter from china and you know a year and a half later we get this little picture this big and it says this is your daughter like talk about surreal like it wasn't like there's no like going or picking or you know like anything like that it was just like we signed papers and then we got to slope this is your daughter and we were like wow you know like this is amazing and through her life then and it's just a series that would just take me all day and I'm I'm mindful of the time running out but it was you know if it wasn't for all of those steps, we never would have adopted her. And if we hadn't have adopted her, we wouldn't have ended up in China. And if we hadn't have ended up in China, you know, all that happened, and I'm telling you guys, everything in the Bible is true. Every, we saw, we saw with our own eyes through our own prayers, we saw multiplication of food many times. We saw that in the States before we went. So it's not just about another, another country. The majority of miracles that I saw before we went to China was when we started. You know, I would just, I would get up at 3 o'clock in the morning, and um, I would make peanut butter and jelly sandwiches, and I'd put them in the back of the van by myself. 
So I, you know, I didn't need a whole church event or anything. Put him in the back of the van, and I would drive. Like the Lord said, well, you might need to drive. I'd drive. It was about an hour into these labor camps where, you know, they work for a day and get paid for the day. And they didn't, uh, most of the time, they didn't have any food for lunch. And so I would just sit in the dark with them in the parking lot, and I would pass out sandwiches. And I saw more miracles on the street than I ever saw in church. Like, not that church is bad. I love the body of Christ. I love church. Not a bad word to say about any of them. But I'm telling you that the Lord will show up to to those that are in need. And uh, I saw tumors fall off. I saw the most amazing things that I'd only heard stories. And in China, you know, we saw the most radical healings, the most amazing deliverances. And um, we saw the dead raised one time. Not I held 30 dead babies in my arms and loved each and every one of them. And I saw one baby that was raised from the dead. And it's all true. Like it's, it's the the word is true, and God knows what he's doing, and, and he wants to use all of our lives. And, and there are people around you, I'm just saying, that, that they need Jesus. And I would just encourage you to listen to the voice. Just listen to the voice of God in just one step after another. And you don't have to be afraid, like, you know, like what happened to Mike. You don't have to be afraid, you know, my my sons at one point said, what if he sends me to this place? And I said, you don't ever have to be afraid of that because when the time comes, if he does, he's, it's, it'll become the desire of your heart. And I'll just end with our second son. He was, we were in China for three months and it was an, just an, an amazing, an amazing story. We had to leave every three months to renew our visas. And so we only were on a tourist visa. We had to leave every three months um, to renew our visas. And um, this was our first time leaving mainland China. We would go to Hong Kong to get the visas and then travel back into mainland China. And at that time, we just assumed that mainland China and Hong Kong were exactly the same because we didn't have any grid for any of that. We were terrible missionaries. We didn't know anything. We didn't know the language. We didn't we didn't know anything. We just heard God say go and so we went. And and so we get to we fly from mainland to Hong Kong and we realize that Hong Kong is the fourth most expensive country in the entire world. And so they, the taxi driver that took us to the airport said, that will be 450 renminbi, please. And we were like, that's all the money that we have, right? And so we we're like, okay, well, we'll go into the hotel and we'll get settled in. And then Michael go to the ATM and get money out and um, we'll pay and all of that. And so he goes to the ATM and he was informed that all the ATMs are closed down because at that time in Hong Kong, 2005, there was huge credit card um, theft going on, and they would get you know find ways to keep the credit card in the ATM machine or have people watching, and so there was just like people's bank accounts were being completely emptied out, so they shut down all the ATM machines. And so Mike said, "Okay, well I'll go into the bank." So he goes and tries to go into the bank. It was May first. For any of you who are familiar with Asian culture, you know May first is national holiday, and 
all of the banks were closed down one week. And so we're in Hong Kong with zero, zero money. Not, we, I have three babies with me, my three kids with me. We've been traveling all day. They were hungry, they were tired, and they were crying. Oh, mommy, I want a bottle of water. Mommy, I'm hungry. We didn't have, we didn't have anything. And Mike comes back and he was like, Dina, I don't know what we're gonna do. Said the banks are closed down for a week. That means we couldn't renew our visas. We couldn't stay at a hotel. We couldn't buy a bottle of water. The hotel had let us check in um, to the hotel, but when Mike came back and told them that we had no money, they said, you can stay 24 hours, but then we're kicking you out. And they walked in and they, and they locked the mini bar so that we couldn't get any food. Now you have to realize, like I had more money than I needed before in my former life. I could have bought myself what I wanted and any presents I wanted for any of you guys. And now I'm sitting in this hotel and I can't feed my kids, and I'm feeling like a terrible mother and not knowing what to do, but it was so good for me. It was so good. Like, I needed, I needed to depend on God, and I, and he needed to undo a lot of stuff that, um, that I had created in my life, and so I went into the bathroom to cry so the kids couldn't see me. Mike went for a walk to process like he does, and so, and um, he came to this Christian bookstore, and they ended up talking and asking him what the problem was, and so he shared with them, you know, what had happened, and of course, like good Christians do, I mean, they were amazing, and they gave us everything we needed. They even upgraded our hotel and put us up in a fancy hotel, and you know, like they gave us money for visas and bus rides and just everything that we needed, and they were wonderful. But they handed me this book before we left, and the the wife looks me in the eye and she said, "I believe with all my heart that this is why you're here under these circumstances." And it was this book called "The Home of Loving Faithfulness," and it was about these missionaries from England that had come to Hong Kong about. 60 years ago, and they went to the disabled community in in Hong Kong, and at that time, all the disabled children were kept in the street in cages like they would chickens or, or dogs, so they were, and so these, these two women, unmarried women, would just go take one at a time severely disabled people, and they would bring them home, and they would care for them. And they'd been doing that for 60 years. Nobody knew their name. This book was story after story. of It had a picture of the, the child and their story. And I remember reading this book, and now I've, I have history with God, right? And I know how he speaks to me, and I can feel God I can feel that you're trying to speak something to me, and I was afraid. Like, I was like, we didn't go to China to open an orphanage. We wanted to work with orphans, but it's a whole different thing to commit to a severely disabled child. And, what, and I kept thinking, what does this mean for my own children? What does this mean for my parents that were so upset when we, when we left for the mission field and took their grandchildren? And if I can't go back and forth because I'm responsible for, you know, like what, this isn't like a four-year call to missions. This is, 
this is life, you know, like in, in the, the severity of what, you know, I felt like God was, was calling us to do was like just in my face. And I remember praying and I said, God, I, I know, I know how you talk to me and, and I feel you calling me into this and I'm afraid. I don't, I don't have the kind of love that I know that it takes for this. And, and God, I'm afraid that I won't be able to love, but, but I know that you do. And so I, I'm asking if you will promise me that you will never leave me, I'll say yes. I said, I never want to say no to you. I, I always want to say yes, but I just need, and of course I know the word says I'll never leave you or forsake you, but I needed him to assure me that he was going to be with me in this. And he said, I got your back. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm in this with you. And talked to Mike, and we said this prayer, and we just said, God, whatever you want, our life is completely laid down. And so this is, we're flying back from Hong Kong Sunday morning. This is when the, the book was finished, the prayer was said. We get back to our apartment in mainland China, and we get a call. And the call was from three missionaries um, or not three mission from three Christian ladies who had been walking on the mountain road and found this little baby. And you have to understand in China, when a child is left in the mountain on the mountain road, it's very purposeful. Everybody knows why it's done, and it's so that the animals will eat them because they don't want the children to, to they don't want to say that they murdered a child, and so they can say that a child died of natural causes. So it was very common for children to be drowned or children to be buried alive or left on the mountain road. Some of our kids who um, were abandoned by their families, they said, Mama, we saw so many of our siblings or the neighbor's kids that, you know, ended up that way. And, and so the even, and even for the Christian community, it was unheard of to take in a child with a severe disability. It was just taboo, and they felt like it was a curse. And so these women saw this baby, who was like two and a half, three pounds, just a, a hot mess, just laying in the dirt on the side of the road, and they heard the voice of God, and God said, this child's important. Do not let him die. So they picked him up, and they brought him home, and he was complete cleft lip, cleft palate, his face completely open, severe brain disorder, severe heart disorder, ambiguous sex, couldn't tell if he was a boy or a girl, blistered from every, every part of his skin had blisters on it. He was dying. And they tried to feed him, and because he was premature and the cleft, he was aspirating and, you know, couldn't couldn't suck, swallow, breathe, and all that good stuff, and, and he was dying, and they were afraid because they had heard the Lord say, do not let him die, and so they called everybody that they knew, including three orphanages, and the orphanages said, nope, we won't take him, it's too serious, let him die, none of the churches would take him, any of that, and so finally somebody said, well, there's this couple, maybe, you know, try them, so they, they had fasted and prayed, three days, that three days that they fasted and prayed were the three days we were in Hong Kong going through that, you know, weirdness and, um, and saying that prayer. So we get a phone call the day we landed, and it says, 
I got this baby. Will you take him? It was like, I said, Lord, you didn't even give me, like, what about preparation? You know, like, what about giving me time and, like, building me up and all of this? Nope. Here's a baby. And so they said, they said, will you take him? We said, yes, bring him. We didn't have a crib. We didn't have diapers. We didn't have formula. We, and we didn't speak the language. We'd only been there three months. We didn't know how to buy a crib. We didn't know where to go. To, we didn't have any friends. We didn't have an organization, nothing. And so Mike went for a walk and found a place to buy a crib and bought a crib and brought it home. And six weeks before then, a friend of mine who worked in a neonatal unit in Minnesota, um, no, in Indiana, I'm sorry, in Indiana, she worked in a neonatal, and she heard that we were um, volunteering at a government orphanage six weeks prior to this, sent us a care package that had come the day before we left for Hong Kong, was sitting on the counter. And um, the Lord said, go open, go open the box. So we had just gotten home, go open the box. I opened the box, no lie. It was a huge diaper bag filled with preemie diapers, preemie baby clothes, preemie formula, and Hyperman feeders, they were the feeders that you use for cleft lip, cleft palate babies. I was like, oh my goodness. So we get this knock on the door, and here's these village women, and there's this naked little baby wrapped in a towel. They shoved the baby through the door. It didn't even feel like there was a baby. It was so light, it just felt like a towel. And I unwrapped it, and with... I'm I'm not lying like it was like the glory of the Lord filled the room it was like I was unwrapping baby Jesus it was so amazing and surreal and it was just it just just felt like like God and I thought to myself in that moment I remember saying to myself oh my goodness you knew me better than I knew myself I want to do this the rest of my life and it was in that kind of, you know, led the, led the trajectory. That little boy we took to the hospital, the doctor said wouldn't live past two. He was like everything you can imagine was wrong with him. They didn't think he was going to live through the week. They just said, bring him home. He's going to die. And so we did. We brought him home. And Mike bought a rocking chair. And we took turns rocking and, and praying and singing and just loving. That's all. Like we would, we would always tell God... Your word says love never fails. So, like, when we don't know what to do, we're just going to love hard. Like, we're just going to we're just gonna love hard, and, and you fill in the gap. So that little boy is now Caleb Robert Vant Hall. He's 16 years old in Inglewood, Florida, and he's my son, and Adab's still living. And, um, you know, like, again just want to say the little steps are important and I want you to see like I know that the stories that people hear about raising from the dead and all of that seem like you know strong woman of faith or strong couple or whatever but there was fear but we just didn't walk in fear you know we acknowledged how we were feeling and we were real before the Lord we were vulnerable and transparent with God and others like we're we don't feel like but we know that you have this and whether we live or whether we die we're gonna follow you we're gonna choose this way and just don't leave us and and he's the same God that did that for us is here 
for every single person and and there is a plan and don't think for a moment that you're not here for a reason you know i believe the bible i believe every single word of the bible i believe it when the lord says that our footsteps are are ordered by god don't you believe that like your footsteps are ordered don't you think that that you're here for a reason and it's not just to admire stories but that it's like the lord has a plan Jeremiah 29 11, he's got good plans. It's not just a verse like on the magnet on the refrigerator. It's true. Like he, he has a future and a hope. No calamity. His plans are for welfare. They're for the goodness of us and our family. You don't have to be afraid that God's going to hurt your children, that the call, your children might get hurt, but God will heal them. You know, we don't have to be afraid of God. He's got He's got everything covered, and so um, that's part of the story, and I'll stop now, but uh, uh, I just wanted to, at this time, you know, if, if anybody, if, you know, any part of the story just resonated, whether it's the baptism of the Holy Spirit, just wanting more, whether it's obedience or faith, prostitutes, taking care of the poor, the lost, the broken, orphans and widows. If there was any part of that story that just really, like, you, f- you feel the pitter-patter in your heart, I'm telling you, that is the Holy Spirit. If, if you felt tears or if you felt movement of your heart, recognize how God speaks and how he moves. It's not just a voice, but he leads us through the movement of his spirit. And I just encourage you, even if you've never come up to the front, like, you don't have to be afraid, you know, just tell God that you want him more than anything else and lay down, you know, like, if there's any pride or just any, you know, whatever that would say, I don't, you know, I don't want to act foolish. I'll be foolish for God. I'll dance before my king. I'll shout. I'll, I'll, I'll do whatever, whatever he wants me to do because I'm in love. And so, and I know that, that I can trust him. So if you guys would stand, and Mike, if you could come up. Just stand and close your eyes just for a minute. And, and if, don't wait. You know, like if, if you feel anything, just go ahead and come. You don't have to wait for me to say, okay, come to the front. Just at any time, just, and if you could go ahead and just, just begin playing. But, but Father, we thank you that you are, you make things simple, like you're not complicated. This gospel is for children. It's so simple and it's so pure. And it's so powerful. And we're thankful. We're so thankful that you call us your own. That you have a twinkle in your eye for us. And we want, we want the twinkle. We want, we want to love you like you deserve to be loved. And we want to feel your love like we've never felt it before. We want to know we're loved even though we might know it we we haven't we haven't had the encounter yet the experience we need it every day just like my kids need me to tell them every day i love you you're amazing would you tell us today how amazing we are how chosen we are how proud of us you are 
And would you begin to whisper the plans, the plans that you have for us? Would you begin to, the broad, the broad things, would you begin to narrow down in, in the scope of your spirit and pinpoint faces and people groups and communities where we could go and just be ourselves and bring you Father, we want to live the life that Jesus died for. We want to live a life where the world sees you and, it, and experiences you and they, they know that you're good. Would you come and fill us afresh this morning? If there are, if Lord, if you're touching anyone with a missionary call, We just bless what you're doing. We bless those that you're sending into the dark places, to different regions, different communities, different countries. Would you manifest your presence upon people? Would you give them an an experience so that they have something to hold on to when they follow you? We pray that you would meet them in their place of great need. Father, for those that want to live a life of faith and obedience, they want it. We thank you that if we ask you for an egg or a piece of bread, you're not going to give us a snake or a stone. We want the Holy Spirit. If, if the Spirit is part of the Trinity, it's you, and we want you. And we're not afraid of you. You're good. And so we just pray, Father, that you would just, by your Spirit, just begin just releasing gifts of faith, gifts of faith, that you would turn on the thing in our hearts that that causes us to walk in obedience that is grace upon grace the greater grace like you said if we would humble ourselves there's a greater grace there's grace but then there's a greater grace some of you just need to come down to the front and that take that step of of humility <laughs> that step of humility because you need the greater grace that God has great things And he wants to release a greater grace. And he just knows that he needs us to be willing to lay down, to be willing to humble ourselves because it's going to be a humbling, a humbling road, a beautifully, wonderfully humbling road. We're just going to ask if the worship pastor could just sing worthy of it all. And and while we're singing this, you know, I, I don't want you guys to think of, you know, sometimes when we, when we think of singing you're worthy of it all, that we think of all the sacrifices that we've made for God and that he's so worthy of our sacrifice, our life laid down, but... I want you just to think about how he's just worthy to be trusted. He's worthy for us to walk in joy. 
to know that he's faithful, like he's worthy for us to treat him for who he is, like he's worthy for us to sing this song and to be full of full of faith and full of joy and full of hope. You're worthy of that because you're totally trustworthy, God. So we're just going to sing. And while we're singing, if you need to leave, go ahead and, and leave. If you want to come down later, just go ahead and come down. Mike and I are just going just gonna to spend some time just, just ministering and laying hands on people. So we just bless you and thank you for, thank you for the time that you've given us today.